0: Welcome to the EMJ Podcast. I'm Ellen Weber, Editor-in-Chief of the Emergency Medicine Journal. Today we're going to discuss a very serious but very important issue that emergency physicians need to be more aware of, human trafficking. With me today to discuss this is Dr. Hani Stockloza, an emergency physician at Brigham and Women's Hospital in the United States and Executive Director of HEAL Trafficking. Dr. Stockloza has investigated human trafficking in multiple countries around the world and has provided expert consultation on this issue to the International Organization for Human Migration, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the National Academy of Medicine. Dr. Stockloza, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Ellen. I think many of us have a vague understanding of trafficking and perhaps some misconceptions. So perhaps we could start by your telling us what it is and where it is.
1: Thank you. And I just wanted to thank you so much for featuring this as a topic. I think that many emergency medicine physicians and many clinicians in general um, just don't have this on their radar. And we have many missed opportunities to really make a difference in the the cycle of violence for trafficking survivors. As with anything in medicine, if it's not on our differential diagnoses, then it's not something that we're going to see or even know how to look for. So thank you for for featuring this as a topic. Um, To your question about the definitions of trafficking, um, I'm going to go over two definitions, one being the UN definition and then the other being the United States definition. At its core, trafficking is modern day slavery and um, is really one individual profiting from the exploitation of another. The UN law, and this is going to kind of get a little detailed here, but it's important, um, uses three different components when defining trafficking. So those are the act, the means, and the purpose. So the act is an act that a trafficker does. So they they recruit somebody, they transport somebody, they transfer someone. So there, there has to be an, an action involved in it. And then the means refers to the kind of nefarious tools that traffickers may use to exploit somebody. So they may coerce them, they may abduct them, um, they may deceive them. There may be some element of fraud or even just the abuse of, of power. Um, or abuse of vulnerability can qualify as that means. And then the purpose. So the purpose has to be for the purpose of exploitation. And we see that take a lot of different forms from commercial sex to forced labor to even organ trafficking or removal of organs. An important caveat here is that under the UN definition, if someone's under the age of 18, there doesn't have to be that means category. So there doesn't have to be that coercion, that explicit coercion or that explicit fraud, that it just takes that act of recruitment or transport, et cetera, and and for the purposes of exploitation under the age of 18. And then under U.S. law, um, the U.S. has bucketed trafficking into sex and labor trafficking. And there's there's an important age cutoff here just for sex trafficking. So under the age of 18, anyone that's engaged in commercial sex is considered to be trafficked. So I'll just say that again. Under the age of 18, anyone that's engaged in commercial sex in the United States is considered to be trafficked. And then 18 or over, or for labor trafficking, um, there has to be an element of these legally terms of force, fraud, or coercion. So what does that mean in reality? That's like a a lot of uh, legal definition, but um, we see it take a number of different forms. It could be A nanny who comes from Nigeria to the UK and is promised this good job, but um, she's duped and she's locked in a house providing 24-hour care, no access to her legal documents, constantly fearing deportation. could be an unaccompanied minor who fled a war-torn country, a transgender youth in the child welfare system, a girl addicted to heroin, or a Native American or an Indigenous woman who's been abused as a child. We see it in, you know, we, a lot of people think that trafficking is just sex trafficking, but we definitely see a lot of labor trafficking, and it's in industries that are underregulated and underpaid. So, restaurant industry, agriculture work, construction work, nail salons, massage, massage parlors, fishing industry, cannabis farms. So, both in our roles as healthcare providers as well as our roles as community members, these are folks that we may be bumping elbows with um, all the time.
0: And, and just to clarify, trafficking can occur within a country. It doesn't have to be somebody coming from overseas. Is that right?
1: That's absolutely right. And there doesn't even have to be an element of movement, uh, according to the U.S. definition. So, in the United States, someone may be trafficked in their own home. Um, we see scenarios where maybe a mom leaves her domestic partner um, because there's intimate partner violence going on, and there she and her daughter are homeless, and the only way to be able to find housing is via a landlord that asks to be paid in sexual acts from the daughter. That would be an example of trafficking and tragic within one's own home. Um, according to the UN definition, that's exactly correct. We see a lot of trafficking that um, exists just within um, one's own country. We see a number of people in my own emergency department that grew up in the greater Boston area and are trafficked within their own neighborhoods.
0: Well. Um, can you tell us a little bit about why you think emergency physicians need to be aware of this and know about this?
1: Really, every day, um, doctors and nurses in the emergency department are putting their hands on trafficking survivors and and not realizing it. and that was the that was the case for myself as well. There's now data to suggest that up to 88% of trafficking survivors interface with healthcare, and um, there's one study that then asked trafficking survivors, you know, which types of healthcare providers did you interact with if you saw a healthcare provider? And the number one category was emergency medicine clinicians. So we're really on the front lines of victim identification and care for human trafficking survivors. And and we really have a unique opportunity and responsibility to be able to break their cycle of violence. Um, and the other piece that I'd add here is just that, especially as emergency medicine physicians, we we really meet people at their most vulnerable moments. Um, when they're seeing us, even within the broader healthcare system, we're seeing them at these really, really kind of scary times in their lives. And we have this really special opportunity to build trust and create that space where someone who may be in a situation that they're, they're afraid to disclose to anybody else um, may disclose that to us as emergency medicine physicians. So it's a really unique opportunity
0: and responsibility that we have. You know, you mentioned that you had been possibly seeing these people and not unaware of it. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got involved in this area?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, it was as a young emergency physician that I started um, screening for trafficking. I had heard some presentations on trafficking when I was a medical student, and I started to start asking my patients um, about their possible experiences of exploitation. And, you know, I uncovered a a lot more intimate partner violence than I had seen previously and then started to um, discover that a number of my patients had been trafficked. And, you know, at that point, I also realized that this is so much bigger than me. Um, this is something that I could dedicate my whole individual life working on and still not make a dent in the problem. And so, um, you know, I believe very strongly in the power of collaboration that, that united that we are stronger. And so sought out those individuals in at that time in the United States who were working on trafficking and health and together we co founded Heal Trafficking in the fall of 2013. Today we're over 800 um, professionals strong, um, multidisciplinary professionals, not just emergency physicians, that are working to really shift the conversation from just the kind of, oh, this is a legal issue, this is a criminal justice issue, to this is a public health issue, this is a healthcare issue.
0: That's quite an um, already quite an investment. Congratulations on on moving this so far along. For the person in the emergency department now, how can we detect uh, trafficking? What can we ask our patients? How do we know who to ask? And then once we find it, what can we do about it?
1: Yeah. So you know, just along the lines of a lot of other things in medicine, it's about pattern recognition and. I like to break it down in terms of social indicators and medical indicators. So on the social side of things, it may be that individual who comes in with somebody who's controlling, that controlling minder or it may be the trafficker or one of their um, accomplices, maybe male or female. They may, the patient may be fearful of speaking for themselves. They may have no idea how they got to your emergency department. Um, They may not have uh, documents with them. So those are some of the the social indicators that we'll see. And then on the medical side of things, we see such a broad um, swath of medical presentations or chief complaints with trafficking and it just depends on what they've experienced as part of their trafficking exploitation. So, for those who have been commercially sexually exploited, they may be presenting to the healthcare setting with complications from pregnancy, with sexually transmitted infections, or um, trauma related to having um, vaginal foreign bodies or rectal foreign bodies. For those that are labor trafficked, they may come in with a, a broken bone, but you notice that they're um, malnourished as well, or somebody that comes in with tuberculosis because they've been living in close quarters with a number of other individuals. We're also seeing a lot in the way of um, mental health complications of trafficking as well as um, addiction. So trafficking in itself, because of the repeated nature of victimization, results in a huge number of mental health sequelae. And, We'll see patients that present as suicidal because of that extreme exploitation and um, trauma that they've experienced, and a number of trafficking survivors also have some addiction to drugs, either as the thing that led them into their trafficking situation and their vulnerability to t- being trafficked in the first place, or as a tool that their traffickers using. Um, some traffickers describe drugs as the perfect leash um, for their their victims because they can control using their withdrawal using withdrawal symptoms control them in that situation. Um, so those are the the two kind of main buckets of of patterns that you may um, recognize in terms of there being something off with the power dynamic, um, the social side of things, and then the medical side of things. You know, one one thing that I've added in my practice is, is for anybody that's addicted to drugs, I'll ask them how they pay for their drugs. Um, I'll ask them if they feel, feel safe. But more than, you know, more than any magical question, um, it's about creating that space with somebody that you are worried about for them to disclose. And, you know, what I mean by that is we've We've all seen it with domestic violence, right? Where you um, you ask the question because you're checking a box of do you feel safe?" and you might be facing the computer, um, you might not be at eye level. and if we don't ask the questions in the right ways, that individual who's experiencing so much um, so many threats um, is paranoid that that maybe their family will be, you know um, hurt if they tell anyone their trafficker has totally brainwashed them. If we don't, if we don't let them know that it's safe for them to disclose, it doesn't matter the words that we use um, to ask the questions. And then in terms of what to do, this this gets to having a plan. So I think it's crucial that all emergency clinicians are aware of trafficking um, and that we begin identifying. But it also is on us to make sure that our health systems have plans in place so that when we identify trafficking survivors, that their care is not ad hoc um, that we, we know exactly who we're going to call when it's Saturday at 2 a.m. Um, because that's usually um, when these victims uh, identify. Um, it's rarely at the like Monday morning at you know 10 a.m. when everyone's around. And so it's really critical that we have um, protocols in place. And Heal just released a protocol toolkit that's free and on our website that really talks whatever champion in a healthcare setting wants to take this on through the steps from A to Z to establish a protocol from stakeholder mapping all the way to monitoring and evaluation. Um, so that's something to check out.
0: Can you give us the URL of your website for those listening?
1: It's healtrafficking.org. So H-E-A-L-T-R-A-F-F-I-C-K-I-N-G.org.
0: Thank you. Well, I, I can't thank you enough for this, although disturbing, very informative and moving Uh, discussion. I think uh, I've had my eyes opened. I think I'll be looking for this more, and I'm glad you've given us an opportunity to not only hear about it, but to have a place we can go for some guidance on what to do. Thank you very much for joining me today.
1: Thank you, Ellen.